Welcome to the 31st Sanctity of Life Sunday. Ronald Reagan uh, dedicated that in 1984, and now we're at the 31-year mark. And the Lord has done much in the last 31 years, and he's really done a lot in terms of sanctity of life, allowing us to do a lot in the fight against abortion in the last couple years. And we're going to look at scripture this morning. And it's, it's good at times to take a pause and contemplate the culture and contemplate how scripture speaks to that. And we desire to do so this morning. We read in our Bibles during our scripture reading there in Psalm 139, and I ask you to turn there once again. We certainly uh, desire to proclaim this morning and all of our days our love for life and our love for children as a blessing from the Lord. And we understand and we always want to be reminded of the fact that we do so because we understand the scriptural emphasis on God's creation of the individual and that when he did that, he created them wonderfully and he created them at conception in his image. We see this in Psalm 139, 13 through 16 which I will read again, follow along with me. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. We see God forming life in the womb. And oftentimes we think of the child being in the womb, but in actuality, there's two in the womb. There's the child being formed and there's the creator doing the work there as well. Let's go over to Jeremiah 1.5. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Jeremiah 1.5. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you, Notice the word before. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. They understand that Christ, is the, God is the one who does the forming here. God's the one who does the creating. And that at conception, this is life. Luke 1, Luke chapter 1 Verse 39, again, we read this in the time of our scripture reading, but good to note the example set for us. We have certainly uh, testimony here, but then we have an example given to us here in Luke 1 of the creation of this child, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the recognition that this was a life even at an extremely early age of this pregnancy in Mary. Verse 39 of Luke 1. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah. Now we know, according to Scripture, that this was just after the angel had visited her. And we know, according to Scripture, that Elizabeth was at this time six months pregnant. 
And we know that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months until the birth of John, just before the birth of John the Baptist. So we know that when Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house, she is uh, very newly pregnant within the first week or less. Now at this time, Mary arose, went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. We see the fruit of the womb is already being recognized at a very early stage. If we were to look at the statistics of abortion compared to 1973 to today, you would see that the indicators are pointing that the tide is very much turning, if not has already turned, in favor of life. Now, there's still much going on in the way of abortion, but it's turning pretty strongly. For instance, in 1991, there were 2,176 abortion clinics in the United States of America. As of 2014, there are only 549. So almost a quarter, a little less, a little more than a quarter of where we were 24 years ago. In 2011, there were 40 abortion clinics in the state of Texas. And due to the laws that were passed in 2013, which I encourage you to still be praying upon, those are in no way fully implemented. They're seeking to be. But we have less now, um, we have 10, less than 10 abortion clinics now. And if those laws were to go into full effect, which they are being heard by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans even this week, they will be, uh, they will drop the number of clinics in Texas down to seven. The state of Mississippi only has one abortion clinic in all of that state. So you can see God has done a great work. In fact, the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate is currently at this time seeking to, pr- to pass a federal bill that would make abortion illegal across the nation if administered after 20 weeks, and it's currently at 24. The number of abortions being performed each year has been steadily on the decline for many, many years, but especially in the last few but I would encourage us that unless uh, less we grow uh, complacent, unless we pat ourselves on the back a little too early, uh, you could go online now and read about web-induced abortions, where women are now able to go online where abortions may be legal and they're illegal in their country, and they gain information from outside of their country, including drugs from outside of their country, where they will be able to then have their own abortion where they like and when they like it. And we cannot be naive to think that this is not currently already in our country if it will not uh, currently be soon in our country. And when we discuss the issue of abortion, most would know the well-known statistic that one in three women will have an abortion within her lifetime. One out of three women will have an abortion within her lifetime. So that would mean if you just get in your car and go down the street a few miles to get groceries you're likely to see dozens of women who either will have or have encountered an abortion in their lifetime. Women that may know the Lord and women that may not know the Lord. I would encourage us that as a church 
seeking to get outside the four walls that are around us now into this local community and proclaim the freedom from sin that can be found only in Christ, are we ready to deal with the pain and guilt that these men and women carry? Because it's an immense. And if one out of three women are going to have an abortion in their lifetime, we're faced as a church FCF and the church as a whole across the world, across the globe, with a task that is largely being ignored. How are we going to minister to the gospel to people that have guilt beyond what some of us have ever even understood? We've really got an avalanche in many ways that is pending upon the church of America and the church at large. And we're going to have to process this avalanche with individuals who've committed an atrocity, the murder of the unborn, that we rightly believe that is par on very few other evils in our society. So how are we going to view these individuals that come into this church? And maybe you know of someone right now, or maybe you will uh, have a close friend that one day you will learn was part of an abortion or an abortion in their past, or maybe an abortion that they just had recently that might have been a close friend, and the odds are increasing that that's going to happen. But I would also encourage us, let's not limit that question to abortion. How about adultery? How are we going to respond when that one happens? How are we going to respond when we have a close friend that we find is involved in pornography? How about homosexuality? How about divorce? Will they be seen as worse than I am? Or are, am I or are we better than they are? I think we both know the, we all know the answer to the second question. Of course, we're not better than they are. But if we were honest, we would probably have to admit that we tend to think of the unnamed people as horrible people or at least worse than I am. There's not a face to much of this. But the issue of abortion is extremely difficult to tackle. The entire sum of it is going to fly in the face of our dignity. It's associated with murder. It's associated with sex. It's associated with strong racial tones. It's done privately. It carries a large load of guilt and shame. And it's no wonder if you bring all those things into play that the average church down the road won't touch this subject, either now or haven't ever in the past. Most of them haven't. You can see why. There's so many connections that go with this. But I believe that to not address that 500-pound, name-your-color gorilla in the middle of a very tiny room that is increasing daily with a population of people that have immense shame and guilt over this is to deny the power of the gospel in an area of our culture. And that in itself is blasphemous, that we would not do that. That we would deny the power of this one area. And we must repent. We must repent as the body of Christ for not addressing it. And that repentance must cause us to think and act differently in the coming days as though we know, as those that we know and love confess their sin and those that we do not know and love come to our church and confess their sin. 
Now, I want to pose a question to us this morning, and we're going to gain the answer to this question from Scripture. And the question that I would desire to pose would be, the one, would be in one word, which would be why. It's the root, really, of this issue, abortion. Why would someone have an abortion? Why would a man pressure or even threaten a young woman into getting an abortion? And the question has to be answered because it's the heart of the issue. It's the heart of the issue of how we're going to address this issue of abortion. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 6. Let's find the answer to this question of why in Scripture. And there we'll also find the, answer, the, the remedy, the solution. 1 Corinthians 6 Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Turn over a few more pages to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of obedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, all of us were by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The reason why someone would be a part of such an atrocity as an abortion is the same reason that I don't respond correctly when my child disobeys. It's the same reason why someone gets angry if their meal is not served just the way they want it. It's the same reason why a man or a woman who has been given the wonderful gift of a wife or husband seeks to not find their fulfillment in that wife or husband outside physically and they go look for pornography to do so. It's the same reason, young people, children, that you get angry at your brother or your sister when they take a toy and don't give it back to you. It's the exact same reason. It's the heart. It's the sinful heart that is prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It's because we're told in Romans 1.25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Our sin is what drives us to worship ourselves before we decide we want to worship God. And we cannot do that outside of the power of Christ changing our hearts. So we naturally want to do things that are for ourselves whether it's something as simple seemingly to us as getting angry at a, uh, your brother or sister for taking a toy or something as atrocious to us 
as the murder of the unborn. Look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. Look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine with me. How powerful is the love of yourself? We have an example in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine of how powerful it is. The first commandment we know is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second, Matthew 22, verse 39, is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We have a heart that so desires to please oneself that Christ uses that as an example of the extent that we should love someone else. In 1 John three fifteen, we see that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But we would say, well, I don't hate my brother. But lest we fall into the trap, look at Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard, it, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Same heart that murders, same heart that gets an abortion, be liable to judgment, same heart, but I say to you that everyone who is angry, okay, I don't hate, but if you're angry with your brother, you will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. It's a heart that would rather view those that are murdering the unborn as being worse than when I get angry or have hatred in my heart for someone else. That's the heart that gets an abortion, which is my heart, and it's your heart as well. It's the heart that is dead and cold to the truth of Scripture unless the Lord alone makes it alive and changes the nature of it. It's the heart that has been made alive by Christ, but once again falls into sin, and it's the same heart that each day must realize the redemptive work of Christ who did that work for you upon the cross. It's the heart that has been made alive and though scarred from sin that can move forward free from a load of guilt and shame because he or she realizes that Christ took that sin as well. The heart of flesh does things for us but the heart of Christ does things for him and then for others, but it can only be changed through Christ. With every strength in life comes a weakness. And here at FCF, we have a strength. And one of those strengths that we have is that we have a strength in the area of the home. We have fathers that want to train and teach their children in the spirit of Deuteronomy 6. We have parents who want to lead their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But the corresponding weakness to that strength is that we, we oftentimes, out of the strength of seeking to protect our children from sin and teach them that sin is wrong and bad and has consequences, we must be careful not to grow weak in teaching them what they most desperately need more than anything else, which is a right understanding of the gospel so that when they do fall, which they will do, fall into sin, they will know how to respond and how the gospel applies at a time in their life 
when the weight and shame of their sin is weighing them down. See, when a professing Christian falls into sin, it seems from my point of view, and I think scripture would support this, at least from my view in counseling, my experience in counseling, you have, they normally go through one of two choices. There are probably others and there's probably a combination, but one of two choices seems to happen. Either one, they go into a full backslide mode, which you need to be careful about and monitor, but they either go into a full backslide mode, rejoicing all the way down the slide over their sin, enjoying it, the pleasures of sin for a season, or two, which can be equally devastating, they are so discouraged and downtrodden and ashamed of their, their sin that they can't believe that God would ever forgive them. This is a Christian, that God would ever forgive them or still love them or that they could ever come to a point where they would not be defined by that sin to the point that they're so discouraged and disheartened that they can't get up off the mat and fight anymore. And it's really just a matter of time before they give in to the sin again. And as they give in to that sin, they're hating it the entire way down. What both individuals need and what both individuals lack is a full understanding of the gospel. A full understanding that will give them the grace, that will provide the strength for them to rise and go forward and press forward to the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus our Lord. Go with me again to Ephesians chapter 2. And let's look at that grace. Beginning in verse 1. And you were dead. We can just start there. You were cold as a cold stone, just a slab of nothing. You were dead, absolutely dead. And a dead man can't do anything. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. So from everything going forward, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the work of Christ in you. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, you're stone cold dead, but God in his richness and mercy, just like we saw in first light this morning that God spoke into existence life at the beginning of the world in Genesis 1.1. He did so again. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive. Together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The grace wasn't yours, the faith wasn't yours. Every bit of it was given to you by the Lord. And that none of yourselves, it is the gift of God not a result, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
for we are his workmanship. We were dead. He worked in us and made us alive, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That is the gospel. And unless you, can gra- unless you understand that fully, that you did nothing, when you fall to the bottom of that sin, and whether it's an abortion or whether it's pornography or whether it's lying or whether it's laziness or whatever else it would be, when you're at the bottom and you need the grace to move forward, it is the understanding of the gospel that you in no way have ever moved forward if not for the love of Christ in you and drawing you and giving you the strength and the ability. And it's the understanding from that gospel that will take you to the book of Luke where you will look at the prodigal son and you will get a picture of the love that God the Father has for us that can never, ever be taken away because it's never something that we ever earned. It was given to us freely. Let's go to 1 Peter. The character of one who has been given the gift of eternal life by, God, by the God of the universe through his one and only son, Jesus Christ, is the character that has been changed from focused on self to focus on others. Because others who do not know Christ have a problem that is innate in them. And it's the same problem that you and I have both had. It's the fact that our first birth came with a rot and stench of death. That if we are to be made alive in Christ requires that we need a second birth. And that alone can be done through the work of Christ. Look with me at 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, note, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As Christians, we should march, I believe, against abortion. I encourage you, hold up a sign. Stand for truth in the face of evil. But not because stopping this evil will make us more comfortable or feel better or even because hopefully one day this evil will be ended. Stopping evil is not possible on this side of heaven or this side of hell. We should march and hold a sign and volunteer and give funds and all the creative means and ways possible proclaim loudly that this evil cannot be stopped in a person unless the darkness of sin is driven away by the light of the new birth in Christ. And we stand, and I would encourage you to go next week and stand in Austin to proclaim, to show that freedom from the weight and burden of sin is found in the liberating power of Christ alone. We would stand to say that alcoholism, that abortion, that drug abuse, that pornography, that homosexuality, and any other and all of the other idols that we oftentimes fabricate in our heart to mask the pain of sin is and will be forever lacking in the ability. The ability that only can be found through Christ So we stand to proclaim that true freedom and true strength and true power comes only through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen?
Amen? So where do we go from here? Let's go to John 3. When our hearts, more and more each day, by His amazing grace, understand His remarkable love for us and how undeserving we were of that grace and love, we will be better equipped to help others handle the guilt of their sin, no matter what that sin, but obviously certainly abortion. So by way of application, and we're going to go to two scriptures, and this first one's in John 3. The first one I would just encourage you to use as a, as a thought. Put this thought in your mind. The second will give us a route to walk. It's John 3. Now there was a man, verse 1, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the first thought I would give you is that when you see someone that has had an abortion, or when you see an abortion clinic, or when a close friend comes to you and lets you know that that has happened in their life, either in the past or recently, I would encourage you to think of John 3 and realize that your first birth wasn't perfect either, and you were born dead, just like that child was that was aborted. But then we have the route we can walk. We have the hope, once again, found in 1 Peter. Go with me again to 1 Peter. First Peter 1, starting in verse 13. And I would encourage you to go home and meditate upon this passage further, but there's a lot in here. We won't go through much of it. I'm simply going to read it. But there's, it's very straightforward what we are called to do going forward. First Peter 1. As we would understand in the magnificence of what God has done in our hearts and we've been made alive, we've been given the second birth, 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, God the Father impartially judges to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver 
or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice at the hope found in the gospel. And we want to obey the scripture here and fix our hope completely. Not 99%, not 50%, but completely on the grace that has been brought to us by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Father, we as a church, as individuals, desire to stand in the face of evil in all its forms and fashions. And we desire, Lord, to stand there not because we hope to make it easier upon ourselves. We desire to stand there because you've called us to stand and proclaim into the darkness the marvelous light that has been found, that is found alone in Christ. So I ask that you would strengthen us in the coming days and weeks and months and years that as this atrocity continues forward, that you might continue to give us freedom from it and growth and the understanding of the sanctity of life. But oh, Father, give us a deeper love in each one of our hearts for our fellow man that is around us, whether they know Christ or do not. And that we would be ready in whatever the sin may be, but especially the ones, Lord, that dominate our culture today, homosexuality and abortion, that we would be ready to proclaim loudly and boldly and humbly and lovingly the truth that is found only in Christ. And Lord, may we do so understanding that we're not bound to have to do these things, to have to sin. But in Christ, we're free. And we've been given the power and the grace to do what we ought. We thank you, Lord, for it. I pray, Father, that the scriptures would continue to speak boldly into our lives on on these areas that are so prevalent today. May we not turn from them, but boldly in repentance, proclaiming the truth of Scripture into these tough areas, into areas that oftentimes come with with persecution, sometimes physically, most oftentimes verbally, knowing that this this is the place to run to. This is the fire that's burning hot and that so needs the quenching power of the Holy Spirit. 
Father, we thank you for the, the opportunity that you've given us this morning to study your word on this issue. We thank you, Lord, for many other churches that this morning are proclaiming the truth in this area to the body of Christ around the world. And we stand with them and desire to walk with them and to um, fight with them. Lord, I pray for this Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals as they hear this case that you might grant favor and allow it to be ruled in the favor of life and that even more abortion clinics would be shut down but at the same vein Lord we pray that as these women who are unable to find an abortion clinic close by would make a trip or travel a long distance or get on the internet that you might bring in your sovereignty an individual a thought that would draw them to you in truth understanding that your firstborn son Christ was killed on their behalf that they might have life we pray Lord for those women we pray Lord for those in churches and not in churches around the world that bear the burden of their shame and guilt that may have never confessed it or never learned how to walk with it and have never been relieved of it through the power of the gospel that you would comfort them and provide us opportunities to encourage them with the hope and there is just so much hope Lord hope that overwhelms hope that comes from understanding that though that sin was enough to put Christ on the cross so was a simple lie You're perfect in any sin in our eyes of the smallest to greatest magnitude was worthy, was had to put Christ on that cross. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the truth once again. We rejoice in it. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen.